Welcome to the Church Doctors Podcast with Scott and Marla Sheely. The Church Doctors Podcast is brought to you by Outpouring International. Love God, love people. Hello, everybody. I'm Scott. And this is Marla. And we're so glad you're in the podcast booth again with us today. And uh, it's going to be a good day today. Uh, I don't even know if it's morning yet. We had to get up really, really early so that we could interview our (laughs) special guests that we have with us. Yeah. They just seem to think that the day starts at 4 a.m. And that's that's like not even me. Yeah, but what a treasure they are. We're so yes. glad to have them here at the kitchen table. Yeah, They walked all the way from next door to get <laughs> to be here together with us today. And I'm I'm sure I'll wake up here as we get to going. We've got our cup of coffee and uh we've been chatting for a while. So and it and it's not four AM now, uh by any means. It's I won't even tell you what time it is, but the sun is up, so But we have with us today uh two very special people that we've grown to love and admire and have watched live a, a kingdom lifestyle that we really enjoy. Yes, it's, they're, they're, uh, it's an encouraging watch. Yeah, they're visionary people who have started churches and outreaches and have raised up and planted churches in the Philippines and Mexico and and are just uh, who knows where. In, yeah. in, involved in all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, Makes me want to start life over again and do it their way because we know what their way is now. And it's like, man, I wish I'd have known all that. But we have with us the the famous Doug and Kathy Kelly. Woohoo! Yay. We should, do you have an applause button or something Uh, for that? I do. Let's try that. Welcome, Doug and Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Doug, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. It's just great to see that uh, Marla got up early today and has got her face on. I was a little afraid that I, I would come too. over and see her without her face. I thought, goodness sake, Marla can be pretty intimidating yes. with her face. With I her thought, face. Without her face, and, we're in trouble. And having said that, how are you this morning, Kathy? <laughs> I'm amazing. I've had my face on since 530. Oh, my All goodness. Right. That's just wrong. <laughs> have you always been early birds like that? I mean, you say you get up at four o'clock in the morning. So have you always been early birds? You know, pretty much. I, I've always felt like the, the mornings were just special because, you know, the day starts to run fast and hard. And I'm uh, my wife has been beating her jaws on me for the last uh, few months just to sleep longer. She says it, it'll help you lose weight. It'll help you get rid of any disease and affliction. So I'm pushing myself to stay in bed for seven hours. I don't say I'm sleeping seven hours, but I try to stay in bed seven hours. So we were at this great meeting last night and came home a little later than usual. We stayed up a little later. We were working on some stuff. And so I didn't go to bed until 10.30 or something like Gasp. that. Gasp. Yeah. So it was a little late for me. <laughs> well, we, uh, I was just in the middle of a movie at that time. <laughs> we have a, uh, you and I both have a heart for kingdom ministry in, in the earth. And uh, you guys have lived a kingdom ministry before it was cool. Like, like the song Country, but when, when country wasn't cool. But you, you lived kingdom before people were made a big deal about it. And what I mean by that is, is that um, your whole focus wasn't just build a church, do church, and then stay in that one lane. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. How did you get to the point where you are now? Where I know, I know what you you know. So, but people need to hear a little bit of history where you, where you started. 
Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was growing up in a small town in northern Montana, a small town of Sunburst, Montana, and I always thought that when I grew up, I was going to make an impact on the world around me. I was going to be a, a lawyer. I was going to be rich and powerful, but I really had a passion for people. My dad was kind of a secular pastor. He solved everybody's problems. People knew Pat Kelly, and they'd come to him for whatever issues they could. So I kind of had this marketplace thing in my mind. I came to Jesus in September, September 6, 1970, in a little, in a house meeting at the time, got out there and sat in that hot seat, prayed the sinner's prayer, got up from the hot seat, and I was never the same. And even though I didn't know that uh, the thrust of my life was going to deal with more with the church than it was with business and law. I went on to law school, became a lawyer, and and uh, ran for political office several times, ran other people's political campaign, but always found that God wanted us in the marketplace. I had a specific word in 1984. He said, the church has become monastic. You need to go from the monastery to the marketplace. And when, it, when the Lord said that, I knew exactly because pretty soon the church was just a bless me club. And we had come through the Jesus revolution and all the things that happened. We all got saved. But we started to gather in little groups and we just wanted to stand around and pray and prophesy over each other. And so it was more of a blessing time. God's saying, I want you to be salt. I want you to be light. I want you to take the glory, the goodness of God into the marketplace. Yeah. And so... Now, at what what time did you and Kathy meet then in that? Well, Kathy and I, go ahead, honey. I was just, something that you said about 1984 kind of pricked my mind where he got the word from the monastery to the marketplace. We were actually contemplating buying some property and having a Christian community at that time. We had people in the church that were real interested in that, and we were interested like in it. Like a commune? But, well, yeah, <laughs> a commune doesn't sound too good, but that was the that was the gist, really. You know, mm-hmm. we would live together and, and minister together and grow food and all this kind of stuff that's kind of well, making we Well, we read a book, I think, called oh, living, living, to- living Together in a World Falling, falling apart. apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we thought we could try that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's back in the day when Jesus was going to come any day now. That's so exactly you had right. to I mean, get ready. It, 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 in your own understanding, it, it makes sense. You know, yep. surround yourself with like-minded people, yep. raise children in that kind of an environment where um, there's nobody else influencing them for for evil, uh, uh, supposedly. And but uh, but the Bible is is a little bit different than that. Yeah, it is. It's funny because you ask when did Kathy and I meet. We actually met at the University of Montana. I was in law school at the time. She was uh, taking. She was in preparation to be a concert pianist and a French teacher. So she had two dual majors. And a friend of mine brought me to a Bible study. I'd only been saved, I think, two or three weeks. And so I went to this uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meeting. And so we're all sitting around this room, and I was talking as as, as customary for a person like me. And uh, <laughs> this girl across from me just she just kept laughing. She thought I was the funniest thing. I, I think whatever sliced bread but she was happy and she was laughing and I thought man I like that gal she's got a good sense of humor she knows what yeah, she does <laughs> and so anyways a month later I asked her to go out with me we went to a uh, we went out and had pizza then we went to a political meeting it was actually the results of the election night and this was in 1970 November of 1970 so we we're able to even go trace back our first date 
to that election night. I was on a I was on the inner circle for a guy who was the mayor of Missoula, Montana, and he was running for Congress. And so we were at the Dick Shoup election night. Well, she comes and we go to this hotel and everybody's pretty well dressed up except for Kathy. So she always remembers this. That she had her tie-dye jeans on or whatever. And My waffle stompers. Doug told me when he asked me out, he said, let's go and listen to the election returns. And so I thought, great, you know, we're going to have pizza first and listen. So I wore my listening to the election returns clothes. And who knew we were going to be at the fanciest hotel in Missoula with all these, uh, these high-flying people. That's but- funny. Did you guys win? We did, yeah. He got he he served two terms as in Congress before he was defeated by I think Max Baucus, and and so Max defeated Dick Shoup. Yeah, that's awesome. So so I know a little bit of your story. So here you are. You're you're connected to the political realm. You know people. You you you've gotten your law degree, and you're thinking, well, that's that's where I'm headed. I can do serve Jesus, love Jesus, and be a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, where you were headed to, to run for office yourself now. I was, and actually in 1980, I ran uh, for the state senate over in Helena, Montana. I won the primary, and uh, I was headed towards the general election. I was literally running from house to house and door to door. And, and uh, I remember the, the volcano of Mount Helena when it erupted and everything and the ash. But I, I ran from house to house even during that time won the primary, was getting ready for the general election, and we had a, a prophetic meeting. We call them presbyteries, where we had uh, visiting prophets come in, and they came into our little church. We had about 25, 30 people or so, and so they came in for three nights of prophetic meetings. And during that meeting, when they called us up at the third meeting, they laid their hands on us, and they basically said, uh, the Lord says, you are the shepherd of the house. I still remember that. You are the shepherd of the house. I was doing all the administration kind of stuff. And my father and the Lord, who was older, he was doing the primary, had the title, if you will. But after they said that, I remember just kneeling down by that chair, Kathy and I, I was weeping. I thought, Lord God, there goes my life. There goes my life. I just saw myself getting flushed down the toilet. Oh, dear. I mean, I thought this is going to be absolute. I didn't even like them people. I didn't. I mean, the, the people we had then, they, I mean, I thought, man, most of them were underachievers. And I was a bit of an overachiever. You know, I, I was just charge, 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 push, push, push. And, uh, but I, so I asked the prophetic people, the, the team leader who was later became a good friend of mine, I said to him, hey, do you think that means I should pull out of the election process? He said, brother, he said, the way it works in the prophetic, he said, we shoot them and you clean them. <laughs> and that was, I never forgot that. So I, we're driving home to a few blocks away from the church building where we were at. And we had a fellow in the back seat who was a very intense fellow. And I said to him, what do you think? What do you think we should be doing? And he's all I remember him saying in the backseat of that car it was late at night and dark, and I heard this big voice that just said, forsake all. And that's what he said to us. And I knew right then I needed to forsake all. I was more convinced God wanted me to be a pastor of these people than he wanted me to be governor or president or anything else, even though I felt like I had big aspirations and, 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 and God-given abilities. But I said, okay. Okay, Lord, that's it. I, next day, I called the the chairman of the Republican Party. I was the vice chairman at the time, and I called <laughs> the chairman and said, "Hey, listen, I, I got some bad news. I've got to pull out of the race." And uh, everything, 
she she just said, "Oh, you just are just confused. Just take some time." I said, "No, I'm I'm not confused. I know more certainly than anything else, because I learned that. See, the church the church is about loving God and loving people, and um, politics was about power and business was about profit. And so I understood these basic principles, and I thought, Lord didn't call me just to be a businessman or a lawyer or, or a politician. He called me to be to be a man of God and and help people." pray for people, love people. My primary job every day is to get up and love God and love people. That's it right. isn't complicated. Right. And so I know that uh, that you have been back and forth in you know full-time ministry. Uh, you, you still were a lawyer. You still did practice law. God, God still used your visionary um, build that you have to... Uh, uh, start churches and start ministries and and uh, you know and then it expanded to other nations and so you it wasn't that he took away your influence he just uh guided you in a path that uh you now you influence politics you influence people on the street you influence people in other nations you know back and you're right back at that time Doug took a lot of criticism for that and he had a lot of people saying you know you need to just get off this marketplace message he said you're called by God you need to focus in the church so you're right now everyone is seeing it Lance Wall now in his seven mountains and and people are seeing that there's a lot of different areas where you can serve God and God calls you but back then it was a little bit different yeah i i was thinking about this morning i knew you were coming over and i I, I heard the passage that just described Jesus. He went about doing good Amen. and teaching and healing. And that was what he did. But, you know, very rarely did he end up in the synagogue sitting down with a bunch of people listening to a teaching. He, he taught as he was going somewhere. He, 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 what was the part? It doesn't say in the Bible what he did that was good. He went about doing good. I mean, that was a third of his ministry, it sounds like. It was, there was three things they listed there. And I think we've let go of just the basic idea that uh, loving people is more than a Sunday job. It's, it's more than a Wednesday night job back when we used to have Wednesday night church, you know. And, and now if there's only one service on Sunday morning, people check the box and say, I've went to church, and you don't have to show love to anybody until six more days. Yeah. And, uh, and, and really... Uh, watching you guys and watching the the fruit that you have come out of your ministry, you, you don't have to teach it, really. It's like, look, there's freedom in... Yeah. You still get to be you and do all the things you like, but if you include Jesus with it, that that is ministry every day. See, and, and the core belief for us has been that every born-again person is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We really believe in the priesthood of the believer. Uh, this was... Returned to the church through the ministry of Martin Luther back in the Reformation. He brought two great truths back to the church. One was that salvation by grace and grace alone, and the other was the priesthood of the believer. Unfortunately, our churches are structured in such a way that they recognize the only people in full-time ministry are, we would call it the Levitical priesthood or the people that are getting paid. We tell everybody, no, it's not about money. It's about, it's about doing the work of the ministry, and all of us are called to do it. See, even the Mormon church recognizes this, and so they got all their people out there doing the stuff. Well, if all the body of Christ would suddenly wake up, say, I'm in the ministry— 
I tell people I don't use the word laity because I believe it's of the devil. It's a demonic, satanic word. It isn't. It was birthed in hell to keep the body from doing what the body's supposed to do. It creates a caste system. That's right. If you're laity, then that means somebody else is higher than you. Totally. <laughs> totally. So I tell people, listen, we're all the born against. We're the clergy. All the non-born against, they're the laity, if you want to use that word. But our job is to bring them to Christ. He wants a big heaven. He wants, uh, you know, everybody to come. Yeah, when when God gave us himself, he so loved the world that he gave us himself. Yes, yes. And when he gave us himself, all of him moved in each person that said yes to him. So how is it that we can come up with a caste system that says, uh, that person over there has more anointing than I do, so that they, they get to be the one that does all the work and the ministry, and I just watch. That's right. Wow! So you're, what you're saying is, is that God loved you so much that He gave Himself. He actually died in order to give Himself to you. But you're going to sit down and do nothing with that. Wow! It's like yeah. it's like you've made yourself uh, the decider. No, you're not. I mean, you get to decide being led by Holy Spirit. You're not the one that says, I'm going to be God and make decisions where I, I leave. I don't represent God. I don't I don't show how big he is in me any, with anything. I mean, people are sitting doing nothing because of that caste system, because there's a guy that's getting paid or, or, or a woman that's getting paid, and then everybody else watches. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, we're not teaching that everybody... Uh, it's supposed to be doing the work. Well, We're allowing yeah, the, the. It's the, because the, the American Church or Western Church has has a system, and it's it's impossible to break that system and keep your job. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like they're stuck yeah. until until there's something that shakes that loose. I think that they're they're stuck there. We started and ran a Christian school over in Helena, Montana, for a dozen years. Our kids went through that school, and the the bulk of all the people were volunteers. So we had teachers coming four days a week, Monday through Thursday, just sharing the love of Christ, teaching uh, and praying and giving up their opportunity to go get a second income, if you will, because we we really believe that the, wor- the army of the Lord's a volunteer army, that everybody, we should be doing what we're doing, uh, not because we're getting paid. I had a, a real good friend of mine ask me several years ago, she said, well, how many of the pastors that you oversee in the Philippines are in full-time ministry? I said, well, all of them. She said, well, no, I mean, how many do you? How many are getting paid? I said, none of them. I said, full-time is, they tie that to the checkbook. And it shouldn't be tied to the checkbook. It should be tied to the holy book, not the checkbook. Yeah. And see if we can make it about the holy book of God. And Kathy and I have made a lot more money just serving the Lord. And uh, we we felt like business has been our hobby for the last 30, 40 years. And, but our real passion has been the church, building the church, but not building it by getting a salary from tithes and offerings, you know, but by saying, hey, listen, let's do the work of the ministry. Let's just get out there and pray for some people. And we've been doing this. And so we never think in terms, well, what are you going to pay me? I was, I'd started a church one time, and it was a little humble church, and I remember uh, I felt like I was just planting it. I was planting and going to turn it over once we got a gathering of 20, 30, 40, 50 people, something like that. And I remember going to the, one of the guys who was my elder in the church that I'd ordained, and I said to him, 
would you take the church? I want you to consider stepping up and taking the lead as pastor. And he said, okay, I'm interested. But he says, how much are you going to pay me? I always remember that when he said, how much are you going to pay me? I was shocked, actually. It was a, I was a little young and dumb at the time. And I said, I'm going to pay you just what I'm paying myself. He said, well, what's that? I said, nothing, nothing. I said, you either do it for the love of God or you just don't do it. And people that have to be paid to do the to do the spiritual things of God, they should not do it. I mean, sure, money is a reality. We all we all walk by faith, but we live by finances. Finances are real, and we need to we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that they'll have ample finances, and hopefully through passive income, so that they can give more of their time to the Lord. But I mean, it's like you; you're a very skilled. Uh, person you've got skills to build houses and fix things i got none of those i mean i i know how to buy properties and sell properties i I used to know how to be a lawyer and and do that kind of stuff but you know ultimately we're in the ministry it doesn't matter what whether we're who's paying the bills i mean god's paying the bills either way yeah but i can hear people saying yeah but our church is so big and our pastor has to work so many hours and how are they gonna how are they gonna get money to live for their families and and uh you know how how does that all play in? And those are good questions. One of our churches that we've started down in Mexico has been going for over 20 years. And the pastor and his wife both work full time outside the church. They have a church of 850 people. And they had one person on staff who was an administrator, but there was nobody else getting paid anything from the church. Now, I like that as a prototype because what he's done is he's he's motivated all the people to give of their time and their talent and their treasure. And, uh, you know, we, we like that from a practical perspective. It's not a sin if somebody's getting compensated by the church, and there might be good reasons to do that. Some of our other churches in Mexico, their pastor is getting paid. But most of them, if they, if they come at it from the perspective that I'm doing this for the love of God, not the love of money, or not because I need money— and I mean, money's not evil. You know, the Bible says money is a defense. You know, it's the love of money that's evil. Right. And so we, we really, it, it, we want to be balanced in that regard because I have been uh, paid some money, but I've, I've been paid a whole lot more by God when I just go about the Father's business. Yeah. And so, so what you're saying is, is because they're not getting paid, it's, it's requiring them, if you will, to raise up other leaders to help do the work of the ministry in the church instead of it being a one-man show or whatever, and I'm the only one getting paid. So it makes everybody else step up to the plate, right? Exactly. Their team or church has a great team of ministers and people. They've got a real sense of we're all doing this together. And I think it's important that we don't set rules for a church. You know, there's God can move in different ways in different places, but... uh, I think if we're going to say any prevailing rule, it's that people think, yeah, you've got to have a pastor paid as soon as you get big enough. And that's the that's the, the point of view. That and I met, questioning. I met the pastors of the church you were mm-hmm. talking about. Yes. They, matter of fact, we did a podcast with him. If you go back a, a bunch of podcasts, that he's up there. But I, you know, some of the most joyful, happy people that I've ever met are people that are doing ministry, partnering with God, and and loving people and loving God and not expecting anything else. And then God still provides for them. Miracles are happening. Uh, money comes. I mean, you guys are doing buying and selling properties, and and God's prospered you. I I build things and fix things, and he, I've never been gone without. And 
and yet the some of the people that are have a, a position and a and a check for doing their job they're loaded with with kind of seems like responsibility that they can't bear mm-hmm. and and there's not that that life filled joy where you just want to be around them just to look at their face because they're they're happy they're happy doing what they, they work i mean it's not easy you work hard you 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 know there's a lot going on if you're if you're uh, living by faith trusting god with all your heart and and obeying him when there's no promise for anything in the future you just obey him but the, there's joy that comes from that jesus said pray that your joy might be full well if you're never challenged and you don't have to pray to see something coming down the road to, to, to the answer to come then then there's no joy from that part of your life and i think people that are living by faith are seeing that very very same circumstance come alive over and over in their lives yeah i think you're absolutely right that sometimes the pastors get so burdened down that uh, they send their wife off to work as a school teacher or a nurse or whatever and they stay home and pastor their bible and i said we don't pastor our bible we pastor people and the problem gets to be is somebody who's just sitting there working through all the things, building the perfect sermon. But churches are much more about living, breathing people. I like messy churches and, and churches where there's you don't have everything predictable. And I, I love the scripture in Psalms that says the ground is level. And when it says the ground is level, sometimes that means get off the stage. Make sure that this is Jesus. It's about one. He's the great shepherd. He's the great physician. He's the counselor, the prince of peace, mighty God. And so I'm always telling the pastors, come on now, guys. It's all about Jesus. It's really about him. And so not about me. And uh, we don't want little followers of Doug. We want big followers of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was, well. No, no, please. Please go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just thinking about how you've been in, you know, the political realm where you've gone to the fancy hotels and the fancy clothes, except for Kathy, of course. <laughs> and you've been uh, to other countries. You've got your hands in different business opportunities and land purchases and, you know, all these things that God's provide for you in the marketplace. And yet you have a church in the ghetto of Los Angeles. Now, why? What what possessed you to start a church in the ghetto of Los Angeles? Some these as small town Montana kids. You know, I don't think we ever set out to plant a church in the ghetto of Los Angeles. We were living down there, and uh, we had a home a home meeting actually, and we had a group that uh, we had, Doug had met at a Bible study in Burbank, California, which is a pretty well to do town, and. He went to a Bible study there, and there was a guy from the city, the inner city, that had a ministry to addicts. It was a housing, temporary housing ministry. And so we had a Bible study in our home. We had people from our neighborhood who were all pretty well-to-do. And then we had this friend that he met at the Bible study bring a bus full of folks from the city that were in um, drug and alcohol coming from prison, these different folks. And we did that for about a year, I guess. And, and everybody loved it. Everybody that lived in Burbank, our neighbors, they had never seen anything like that. They really looked forward to it. We had a real, we like to call it a New Testament home. And, uh, but the point came where we felt that, uh, 
it was a lot more work for the people from the city to come up, you know, Los Angeles traffic. <laughs> and we got to the point where we need to be. It's a long story. But anyway, it just we just fell into really that church in the, the ghetto. We went down there because it was easier for them. But we found that the people who were in our Bible study in Burbank didn't really feel like going down into Broadway and Manchester, Central L.A. Um, to meet. You know, there's a lot of just some fear there yeah. even. You know, people are concerned about about their safety or it just, you know, it's an economic thing. They felt like you, it wasn't really a color thing or race thing. It was more just economic. People feel more comfortable with their own economic group. And we've thought about that a lot over the It was the a real years. eclectic gathering when you had millionaires in the meeting and you had <laughs> people who were so poor and everything, mm-hmm. people from prison and all of this. And But God had given us a really big, beautiful home in Burbank. And so we were gathering the people in and uh, yet – there was some push within us, are you going to start a church? And so we started to fast and pray, and we fasted for 40 days. Uh, at least I did. Kathy fasted part of that time. <laughs> I prayed. <laughs> but uh, I remember we were walking down the road and still ans- asking the Lord, Lord, is this your will? Because I was about 52 or so at the time, and I thought I'm old enough that I should be moving as more as a grandpa than as a papa. And because I felt like, you know, the younger people, they, they have this thing that they should do this. The Bible says in the Old Testament that from 25 to 50, after 50, you didn't give yourself to the daily things in the church. You turned it over. And so the next group of people and that, which we don't see a lot of that operating in the, in the New Testament necessarily or in the present church. But when the Lord, we're walking, and I remember, I felt like God gave me a, a name and he said, we could call it open arms, open arms, because this is this was like this is what we're about. We just God's arms are open, and He's open to the hurting. He's open to the to the least, the lost, the lonely. And I felt like that was what the Lord was saying to me that it's not about the rich people. I mean, they'll go find Jesus someplace. They'll do whatever they're going to do. But it's about these poor people that need a shepherd. They need a father and a mother. They didn't have a father and a mother. And I mean, it might seem strange for two white people from Montana to become Papa and Mama to a bunch of black people coming out of prison and off the streets. But that's what God said. Here's Open Arms Christian Center. And so we we really gave ourselves to that. I still remember that when we had the the meeting and I told everybody we're going to move to the city, and they all kind of had an intervention time where they wanted to intervene with Kathy and me. My, our own son was there, and so they kind of denominated him to be the chief interventionist. And so he stepped into it as a young lawyer and told us what, what everybody was thinking, and everybody kind of nodding their head with him. And I said, well, that's all good. I appreciate everything you've said. I said, I don't disagree with it except this. God said. God yeah. said. It always comes back to Kathy and I, what did God say? What did God say? If God said, be a drink offering to the least among you, go be a Matthew 25 church. Be the one that says these are the least. And so that's that's really what we did. And uh, since this is a, a audio podcast, you can't see the, the love in Doug's eyes when he's talking about those people. It, he still loves them, and he still gives his life for them. And so to me, the what he, to sum all that up, it's the love of God. Do you do you love people and are you willing to pay the price of what it takes to love people? It's it's not like okay, everybody sign up to come listen to me and if you like me then we all fit together and we can build a church together and all be comfortable. There's no challenge. There's no 
the people that you're loving, I mean, we're joking and talking the other day about how loving the unlovable or the people that just seem like they never change it. It's, it's exhausting. You're just, man, when are they going to get it? And you're like, Kathy just laughed and she said, we had a whole church full of those people. And, but why, why would you go do that? The, the thinking of the people in the room that were trying to intervene and say, don't do that. Don't do it. You don't fit there. That's not, doesn't look right. And, but what if the perfect Jesus that's sitting in glory with his Father and Holy Spirit and he created the earth and he created people and he's the one that got to do it all. What if he said, I don't want to go down there where it's all dirty and help those people. I, he volunteered. He said, send me. I'll go. Uh, he, became the, he became the ultimate drink offering. He poured himself out for us so that we could have life. And then he handed us the baton and he said, go be like me. Well, if we sit around in a, in a place where one guy's like Jesus, maybe, and nobody else is in the whole group, then what are we doing? What, what are we producing that's like God? We've, we've, I think it's like the pendulum has swung so far that, that we've convinced ourselves that this pleases God, meeting together and then going home. Ple- it pleases God. But I think that he gets the most giggles watching two people from Montana going down into the inner city of Los Angeles. Like There couldn't be two opposite worlds. And yet, there you are, loving those people. And uh, I mean, you raised up a pastor. There's a inner city guy pastoring the people there now. It's just beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. One thing we did notice is that people are the same. They have the same problems. They have the same <laughs> desires. They have the same issues. Really, the things that are different are the economics and skin color, of course. But that's never really. That's never been a real issue for us. Sometimes we're not even sure. We we look at each other and we say, "Now is he black or is he white?" <laughs> we really can't totally remember. And and uh, God just anoints it. You know, I think the key and and you said this. The key is really hearing. God, and, and what do you want me to do at this time in my life? You know, at the time when we started, we were pastoring people just like us, and that was a precious time. In fact, I look on that, and I remember those people, and those folks are some of our closest friends today, wow. and we're going to look back on our time in L.A., and some of those folks will be our friends forever. You know, they've been, they've ministered to us. It's not just all us pouring out to them. There's been a real reciprocity there, and, and wow. that's what what you want. Wow. I think that's good to, to note that you say, what do you want me to do at that's, this time? Yeah. At this time, that's just like the parable of the, the talents, the sower. I mean, the, I've got two mixed up together there. The parable of the talents. It, it, what are you doing with what God's given you? Yeah. You know, are, are you just saying, well, you know, that's, that's not my culture. That's not my, thing, you know, I'm this, I'm that. No, God's put something in your hands, maybe something that doesn't even look like you and, and saying, go do something with it. Yeah. So, so to sum it up, what would, what would you say to somebody that's leaning in going, man, this sounds like, like what God's asking me to do this, this tastes good to me. What, what would you say to somebody listening to encourage them to to, where do they start? Where, how, how do you switch from churchianity to being like Jesus. loving people everywhere <laughs> you go and be like Jesus? Well, I think I remember talking to a, a youth pastor years ago, and we sent him out to pastor a church that we started. And uh, he got so busy paying the price that he needed to recount the cost. 
And there's a cost to pay and, you know, counting the cost. But ultimately, God wants your life, all of your life. He wants your money, all of your money. I mean, it doesn't mean he won't give it back to you, but we're stewards of the manifold riches of God. And and a steward is required to be faithful. I say to people, I, when I cried when God called me to pastor, I found that here we are 40, almost 45 years later, and we've had the most wonderful life. We've seen people's lives changed. We've, we've buried the dead. We've married the ones that needed to be married. We've We've done things, but most of all, we just have been involved with the work of the Lord. And so it, it's it's a wonderful thing, you know, just to think, uh, not more highly of yourself, but just to think, God, how can I make a difference? How can I? I wrote a couple of books. One was called From the Monastery to the Marketplace, and the other one, a kind of a companion book, is called You Can Make a Difference. And these are really about being salt and light. And, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, you're called by God to be salt and light. That's right. Not to hide your light under a bushel, but to be right out there in the midst of the marketplace. That's right. And uh, did you have anything you wanted to close with, Kathy, today to add to that? I was I was thinking of the scripture, take no thought for the morrow, <laughs> for the evils of the day are sufficient. You know, I think most of our life, we've just done what's before us to do in that day. It's not to put down strategic planning, but I remember Dick Iverson once talking about how a lot of folks, would they'd make their plan and work it out, and he said, I just woke up every day and did what God gave me to do that day. And in a lot of ways, that's the way we ended up pastoring in L.A. We just woke up, and it just seemed right, and so we'd follow the next step. And uh, I hope we continue to do that. A lot of people our age just um, think, well, what I've done, I've done, and we're too old to change or or do anything different. And I think Doug and I always are trying to keep our eyes open and say, okay, Lord, do you have something different today, something different for the future? I like that. We don't want to rest on what we've done in the past. Maybe God has just got something else. So that makes life exciting. It does. (laughs) And and. To add to that, I've learned that a lot of times you have to go and start doing it before the grace of God comes upon you to give you the, like, oh, this does work and I can do this. But you find out after you've obeyed that God's partnering with you and he gives you the supernatural ability to do it. And I I think that gets people stuck. They want the assurance that it's going to be okay that this is going to work, that I'm not going to fall on my face, and the people that tried to tell me don't do it or were right, you know, and, and I've got to tuck my tail between my legs and, and and swallow my pride kind of a thing. And so it, it, it paralyzes people from obeying God. But if you realize sometimes you just walk out there on a word, like he said to do it, yeah. and I'm going to do it. And then after, after you start going, you're like, oh, here comes some money. Here comes somebody to teach me how to do this. You know, and, and, and of course, God gives you the, the grace to do it. So, wow, what, a, what an awesome time for, if you're hearing this, you need to listen to this again and let it sink down in your heart. It's a, it's a life that's so rewarding and so, so beautiful. It's, and I think that's how God intended us to live, is to love God and to love people every day and in everything that we do. So, Thank you, Doug and Kathy, for being with us on the podcast today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We sure enjoyed having you. Yeah. Thank you for listening with us, everybody. We love you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Church Doctors Podcast. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website at outpouringintl.com.